0: Iridesco, A Homer's Odyssey by Kitty Fisher, Episode 7, The Code of Honour. Iridesco continued to gaze at the screen. He remembered that long ago his father had told stories of vast cities, flocks of green parakeets, dramatic cliffs and snowy hillsides. Maybe George's stories had been true. He looked carefully at the faces of the pigeons in the photograph. They looked young and happy, their beaks open as if sharing a joke. So he'd been named after his father's friend. He wondered who the other pigeons were. Over on the bed, Bill coughed and wheezed, pulling his cape further over his head. Bullseye jumped onto the foot of the bed and after turning around and snuffling the blanket, he lay down with a sigh and fell asleep. Iridesco must have eventually fallen asleep but was awakened by the sound of Bullseye whining and scratching at the door. Bill still lay in his bed but looked grey and exhausted. His breathing was loud and raspy. Hearing Bullseye, He wearily climbed out of the bed and steadied himself. Pushing down on his knees with his big hands, he staggered over to the door. He struggled to unbolt it, but soon gave up, turning back and sitting down to gasp for air. Bill opened his eyes slightly and closed them. I suppose I'd better call the doctor, he said, casting his eyes around for the phone. It was evening now. The room was dark except for the luminous glow of the alarm clock. Bill felt for the light switch and flicked it on. A flash and then darkness. He shakily reached for a box of matches and lit a candle in a jar on the table. Iridesco flapped his wings nervously and the caravan filled with the smell of the match and huge shadows of phantom pigeons. It was completely silent outside. An owl hooted in the distance and a foghorn sounded far out to sea. Bill seemed to be getting worse. His face was now flushed and sweaty and his breathing was interrupted by fits of coughing. Iridesco wondered what would happen if no one found them. Mostly, he wondered what Lulu and his friends would think. Would they assume that he had given up on them? He had to get out. He would just have to keep trying until he found a way. A catch prevented the window from being opened. He placed his beak around it and pulled it as hard as he could. It reminded him of the sunflower seeds on the boat. This one was wedged in tightly. He placed his beak further around the lever and pulled it with all his might. The plastic moved fractionally in the frame. Stopping to regain his strength, he grasped the catch again and wedged his claws against the wall, pushing his whole body against it. Suddenly it shot across the room, hitting the wall opposite and dropping to the floor. Iridesco pushed his beak into the gap between the window and the frame. Squeezing through the opening, he flew outside onto the roof. Twenty or thirty other caravans were parked around Bill's home. Some had fences or pots of plants around them. He flew along each row, peering into the windows and hoping to see somebody he could alert. He had no idea how he would make them understand him, but he needn't have worried. No one was there. He flew along the coast as fast as he could. The landmarks were unfamiliar to him, but he sensed he had travelled east when he had been washed into the sea. As the sun came up, he passed stretches of sand that swept into dunes specked with marron grass. Slattered wooden pathways led to boarded-up cafes and empty car parks. He kept flying all day, past meandering rivers and abandoned houses that perched on the edge of cliffs. Stretches of countryside were replaced by rows of bungalows or Victorian terraces and rusty piers. Still, he recognised nothing, yet he felt he was getting closer to home. By late afternoon, he started to make out the masts and yachts in a marina. It was still a long way off, but he felt a surge of excitement and hope at the possibility of seeing his friends. He flew on, gaining speed and flapping his wings steadily. Creamy cliffs beneath him sprouted with wild flowers, and the tide was low now, revealing pools of pink anemones and pock-shelled olive-coloured crabs that scuttled under the rocks. The afternoon sunlight warmed his feathers and a light wind blew from the east, making it easier to fly. He swooped down onto the short rabbit-cropped grass of the hillside and rested for a second to think about what he needed to do next. If he could make it to the mews before darkness, he would gather as many pigeons as possible and persuade them to return to Bill's caravan. He still didn't know how he would open the door, but maybe a plan would come to him on the way. It was still light when he reached Palace Pier and embarked on the last mile of his journey. The streets were even more silent than usual. The doorways and windows were shut. Cooking smells drifted from inside the groundling nests, making his stomach rumble. He soon reached the I-360 and turned inland. At that moment, the town seemed to come alive. Doors swung open, windows pushed up, sliding doors opened onto balconies, and a cacophony of clapping, banging and whistles filled the air. He felt as though he were being pushed off course by a great wall of sound. He had been heading home, but instinctively he turned towards the sea and perched on the rusting skeleton of the old pier. Waiting anxiously for the noise to subside, He watched the water swirling beneath him and the gulls bobbing about on the surface. After a second he remembered his dream about huge waves and desperate cries and he shuddered to himself. Eventually it grew quiet and Iridesco flew towards home. He passed Embassy Court and turned into the Mews. Big Daddy and Little Chick stood outside the house and the pigeons on the rooftop watched inquisitively. Big Daddy went inside and soon emerged with a handful of birdseed. Without waiting for it to be scattered to the ground, the hungry pigeons jumped down onto the paving and jostled for a position closest to the source of food. Iridesco noticed Dove first, her grey plumage and dark eyes marked her out from the other birds. Roma was with her, his tall skinny body weaving in and out of the flock. Iridesco recognized some of the other birds too. Although a lot of the youngsters had disappeared, a few familiar faces were still there. Then he spotted Mar on one of the window sills. Most of the pigeons were too engrossed in picking out seeds to notice him when he flew down into the courtyard. He looked up at Ma and saw her face light up with recognition. Ma leapt up and flew lightly down beside him. She looked better than ever. Her eyes shone and her feathers fluffed out in the evening air. Iridesco, just look at you. She skipped around him, looking him up and down approvingly. You're not looking too bad yourself, he smiled. How did you get back? It's a long story, but they gave me some powerful groundling magic. I was worried about you. There was a storm and, well, we thought you might have... Yes, that's a long story too, which I need to talk to you about. Iridesco soon had the whole flock gathered around him. By the time he'd finished, he realised that he was exhausted. he had flown all day, and despite the urgency of the situation, he would not be able to fly if he didn't rest. Roma and Dove offered to organise the rescue mission while he slept for a while. He flew up onto the upstairs window sill and closed his eyes. From inside the house, he could hear a radio play about sea monsters, sirens and storms that smashed ships to pieces against jagged rocks. Soon he began to fall asleep, and the story mixed with his dreams. In the distance, he saw Lulu perched on the roof of the meeting place cafe. The sea sparkled beneath him, but it was alive with monsters. Giant squid and clam bobbed around in rolling waves. He tried to fly towards her but he kept getting blown further out to sea. She was calling him from the shore, but her words were lost on the wind. He tried once again to flap his wings, but something was holding them down. He struggled and pecked, but whatever held him wouldn't budge. That's it, got you. Hold still, little fella. He woke up and looked around in confusion. From inside the house, a pair of hands had snatched him from the window sill and were carrying him towards the bathroom. The window shut behind him, and then little chick passed him to Big Daddy. Little Chick went towards the kitchen drawers and started rummaging around. In the corner, the big dream box flickered and the sound of gunshots and cars screeching filled the room. She came back with a pair of scissors. Now, Daddy, just hold him still while I get this off his leg. He's got caught up in some kind of a wire. It's all twisted around his foot. She snipped at the wire and uncurled it until the straw could be slipped off. Hey, there's something in here. It's got some writing on it. By the time Irodesco was let out of the house, it was dark. The mews were deserted, and all of the groundlings were huddled around their dream boxes. He searched the rooftops desperately, and then he caught sight of Mar. Erie, are you okay?' "'I think so. Where is everybody?' "'They're flying east now.' Eddie thought he knew where the caravan was, and and Roma gathered some of the other birds. they just left as the sun went down. "'I stayed here to let you know what was going on.' "'What to your dad's leg band?' Irodesco looked away. He didn't want Ma to know why he'd gotten rid of it. Maybe it had been a mistake, but it was too late to get it back now. He said some things before he died about my mum. He told me he'd let her down. I just didn't want to be reminded of it. Ma sighed. Your dad had nothing to be ashamed of. It's just the way he was. He was a racer, a homing pigeon. All pigeons are fast flyers, and all pigeons return home. But homing pigeons are bred to be the best, and they never desert their families. She paused before continuing. Your father was taken away from your mother and driven to Paris. He had to get back to her across the channel and there was a storm. Well, it was almost impossible, but he did it. The only problem was that she had somehow escaped and gone looking for him. He searched and searched for her and eventually heard that she was sick and recovering in Brighton. He found his way here, but he was too late. You were just a baby. You hatched here in the mews and I brought you up as my own. George never got over it. He stayed with you and he loved you, but he couldn't talk about it. He blamed himself, even though he had done everything he could to find her. He named you after her, Iris, and his best friend, Dessie. Irodesco was astonished. He wished he had had the chance to talk to his father about his mum, but it felt as though a huge weight had been lifted from his mind. George was a hero, not a traitor. Irodesco's thoughts turned back to Bill and Bullseye. Now he needed to be a hero, or they would die in a deserted caravan park. Would it be too late to catch up with the other birds? Speeding back along the coast, he passed the palace pier, now dark and deserted, and flew on towards the marina. Halyards chinked like wind chimes against the masts, and the waves lapped up against the jetties. Iridesco was used to the quieter world that this grounding plague had brought about, but something else had changed. As a bird, he was conscious of the wildlife around him. At the marina, cormorants often perched between the yachts and the fishing boats swans would glide around moorings closer to the shore and in crevices high up in the chalk cliff pigeons and sparrows made nests and starlings dozed in huge flocks under the pier tonight it felt as if every bird in england had vanished he looked out across the moonlit sea and wondered what other strange occurrences lay in wait for him as he flew on further east a dark cloud drifted across the fields blocking out the stars the cloud seemed to change shape constantly widening and becoming lighter and then narrowing to a dense coal black comet iridesco flew on heading further out to sea he knew now that he was fast and could probably catch up with the other pigeons he hoped he would find roma dove and the rest of the flock this thing seemed to be moving towards him he turned inland again and followed the coast watching out for the pigeons from the mews. a headland jutted out to sea and a light pulsated on top of the cliff as he turned the corner The black cloud appeared ahead of him. It spread out until he was surrounded by claws, great feathery wings and hooked black beaks. (coughs) Caw! 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 Yeah! So Iridesco's come to save the day and lead a flock of pigeons flying east to find a groundling trapped without delay and help him and his furry barking beast. Iridesco looked into the dense cloud of crows and recognised the bird who had challenged Roger at the dovecote. It seemed the whole world was conspiring against him. What do you want, he sighed, flying on through the jeering crowd. We come to help as bird to bird must do. Our code of honour states in times of need. We will but guide thee, trust our word is true, to carry out this great and noble deed. George had told stories about the code of honour. Like the legend of the phoenix, it had been entertaining, but hardly something to be believed. He wondered if it was necessary to answer in rhyme. If so, he didn't feel up to the task. He flew on, joining the crowd of crows. If he had doubted them, it would have been impossible to have said so. He rounded the lighthouse and saw what he had been searching for. When he had left Brighton, he had imagined catching up with Dove and Roma, Eddie and maybe some of the other birds from around the mews. However, this was something he had never anticipated. A huge cloud of birds filled the sky In the centre of the flock, thousands of pigeons flapped their wings steadily, each focusing on the bird in front. Around them and above, gulls of every type swooped and screeched like sheepdogs keeping the flock in check. Wrens, sparrows and other small birds flitted below them, and crows clumped together in rowdy gangs chatting and laughing to each other, enjoying the combination of power and anarchy that being in this mission meant. The starlings carried on much the same as they always did. Being used to flying in huge numbers, they morphed into shapes, rolling over and then under the giant flock. At the back, magpies and the occasional woodpecker exhaustedly struggled to keep up. Iridesco's heart surged with joy, and he flapped harder, forcing himself to pass the other birds and search for his friends. From a distance, he could make out the pale grey body of Dove and the angular dark features of Roma. Eddie was slightly further ahead, his strong wings beating the air as he scanned the coast for the caravan park. As Iridesco caught up, he called out to him and pointed his beak in the direction of the caravans. They were just east of the sand dunes where the shingle beach began and sea kale grew amongst the fishermen's huts. caravans were parked behind a metal fence just up from the beach. As the birds swooped down, the sun was just coming up over the horizon. It cast long shadows across the park. Iridesco soon spotted Bill's caravan and swooped down to the open window. Pushing his body through the gap, he landed on the table. The candle was now just a pool of liquid wax with the remains of the wick floating on the surface. The white satin cape was pulled up over Bill's lifeless body and his mouth hung open. Iridesco hopped onto Bill's chest and stretched his head up under his nose. He sat completely still. Putting his head to one side, he looked carefully up into his nostrils. The hairs seemed to be moving ever so slightly. Under his claws, Bill's chest rattled as he breathed in. Bullseye lay with his paws on his master's leg. He barked at the sight of the pigeon, but he was too hungry to get up. As more and more birds funneled into the caravan, it wobbled from side to side, and Bullseye cowered in the corner of the bed. Iridesco flew up to the bolt on the door and tried to pull it across with his beak. The other birds joined in. As caravan wobbled, a sudden smash sent molten wax flying across the table and the burning remains of the wick onto the cushion. Within seconds, orange flames leapt up Fanned by the flapping wings of hundreds of terrified birds, Iridesco frantically heaved at the bolt, but it was useless. Black smoke filled the caravan. Bullseye hid behind the table, and the pigeons and other birds descended to the floor, gasping for clean air. The situation was hopeless, but then a single bird pushed up through the smoke and the flames. Its wings were specked with sparks of fire, and its hooked beak plunged straight through the terrible heat. The phoenix! Lunging at the bolted door, it clasped the hot metal in its beak and tore it to one side. The door sprung open and birds, dog and smoke poured out onto the grass. Outside, sirens blared as fire crews appeared and an ambulance took Bill to the hospital while Bullseye was led away by a neighbour. The last of the birds were still flying into the caravan park, but now they were perched on vans and pecking around the grass searching for food. Some of the groundlings had brought birdseed and were scattering it around. Others filled containers with water from drinking bottles. Whole families came, bringing their children and pointing out the window of the caravan and the gap the birds had flown through to rescue Bill. As Iridesco sat down on the grass, he felt another bird fly down beside him. Turning around, he saw Lulu. He felt nervous. It had been a long time since he had seen her last, and he wasn't sure how she felt about him. He looked into her eyes, and she looked back and smiled. That was amazing, she said. Yeah, it was pretty cool. She looked at him, not really sure what to say next. Then they both started speaking at once. Damn, there was only one thing for it. Sumo wrestling. She hooked her leg under his and pushed with all her might. He pressed down on her with his shoulder and braced his leg against the ground, obstinately refusing to budge. Neither one moved, and then Lulu relaxed, sending Iridesco rolling over her, still clinging on, they landed on the shingle beach below the caravan and he kissed her passionately. Quick! It's a phoenix! A young squab flew over to where they stood and beckoned them to follow. On the grass the phoenix lay motionless. He looked smaller now with his feathers charred and his beak blackened and still smouldering from holding the metal bolt. The tail that had crackled with golden flames now resembled a bunch of twigs and its poor eyes were closed forever. In the early morning light, it was clear that this was no phoenix but an ordinary pigeon. The claws flopped limply on the wet grass, and one wing lay slightly open, while the other one closed up against his body. ''Eddie!'' Irodeska stared in disbelief. Thinking back to their escape from the caravan, he remembered seeing him lunge forward, his feathers on fire. He'd sacrificed his own life to save them. The other birds gathered round in a circle, silently mourning the loss of their brother. He thought back to the stories that had been told about Eddie fighting with seagulls and dodging buses. His fearlessness had been legendary, and now he had seen it with his own eyes. He would never be forgotten. It was the gulls who acted first, lifting Eddie carefully with their beaks. They carried him to the shore and wrapped him in a blanket of seaweed. Silently, the birds took to the sky and flew back along the coast until they reached the cliffs that looked out onto the sea. Eddie's body was placed on a sheltered ledge high above the waves. As each bird passed, it placed something on the ledge. Soft grass, silvery heather, feathers, shells or flowers. In years to come, the story of Eddie's heroic death would become part of pigeon lore and baby pigeons would be named after him for years to come. The next day, Dove sat on the window sill of number six, Silward Muse. She looked inside as the groundlings stared at the flickering screen finally the extraordinary story of a man whose life has been saved by a homing pigeon. Dove called out to the rest of the flock and they fluttered over to see what was up. They craned their necks and listened intently as the newsreader continued. Yesterday morning a flock of almost 10,000 birds were sighted flying into Happy Valley Caravan Park in Canberra Sands. It is believed that the birds broke into a caravan in order to rescue a 56 year old man suffering from COVID-19. Whilst it's still unclear how or why the birds acted in this way, experts cite many examples of animals coming to the aid of humans in times of crisis. In an even stranger twist in this bizarre story, ambulance crews were able to trace the sick man after a pigeon delivered a message to a house in Brighton where the alarm was raised. The newsreader smiled and turned to the screen. Yes, Kirsty, I'm here in Downing Street where Boris Johnson is expected to make a statement about this extraordinary event. Indeed, the door of Number 10 is opening now and the Prime Minister is here to address the nation. Good morning. Yesterday's events mark an historic turning point in relations between the people of Britain and our feathered friends. It is thanks to the efforts and sensible behaviour of these birds that this vulnerable individual has been saved from a terrible fate. In the City of London alone, Many draconian measures have made birds' lives intolerable. As a means of honouring these noble creatures, I urge you to protect and care for pigeons living amongst us. They are our allies and our friends. As the dawn breaks, a curtain goes up on a new act in this great drama. Dove sighed and started to pick something out of her claw. So, to commemorate this selflessness, a statue will be erected in Trafalgar Square and the kiosk-selling birdseed will be reinstated by Royal Charter. Not as a single species, but as brothers united in the face of adversity, pigeons and humans will survive and succeed together. This time, even Iridesco and Lulu frowned. Succeed, said Iridesco. It means they are turned granivorous, piped up Dove excitedly.